Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was so sweet of you. Rick, did you have to say it like that? Kirk turns 50 today, tomorrow. <laughs> Thanks for the extra emphasis there, bro. That's very sweet of you. Thank you. Um, well, it is a, it's an honor for me to be here just like it is every Sunday that I'm able to attend here at Godspeak. I know that you feel the same way too. You feel so blessed to be part of a church like this where you feel the power and the presence of God and you feel the Holy Spirit uh, refreshing you and comforting you and equipping you for the work that God has for you during the week. And that's why I come. And so I'm especially honored to be entrusted by Pastor Rob uh, with the, the task of bringing a message this morning from God's Word. Uh, if this is your first time here at Godspeak, welcome. Welcome to Godspeak Church, Calvary Chapel. We hope you enjoy yourself, uh, and we hope that you will come back. If this is your first time here, and you're a little concerned because you came looking for a legitimate pastor to bring the Word of God, and you look up and you see a middle-aged Mike Seaver in the pulpit, <laughs> take heart. Come back next week. I'm just filling in. A real pastor will be here next week with a real message. You're going to love it. Well, I've had a great weekend this, this weekend. All my kids have, have come home. All, all but my, my daughter, Bella, she's, uh, she's stuck in Texas. But, but my daughter, Anna, was here at the 9 o'clock service. She came in from Colorado with her boyfriend, Austin. And uh, my son, Jack, and his wife, Kaylee, came in from Colorado also. And my son, Luke, uh, came in from Lee University in Chattanooga, Tennessee. He's there learning uh, about girls. And <laughs> I, I think that's what he's majoring in, cute girls. But he came home reluctantly for the weekend. And so my whole family's here because I'm, I'm, I'm joining Club 50 tomorrow. Pretty excited about that. Turning 50. And uh, I know I got a lot of things to look forward to, right guys? Right? I mean, Pastor Rob tells me he, he's, he's older than me. And so he tells me that I, I, uh, I, have, uh, I have to look forward to soon having more hair on my knuckles than I have on my head. That's exciting. Um, I know uh, that you know you're turning 60 when you need your GPS to locate your feet because you can't see over your belly. Uh, I'm sorry, I looked these jokes up this morning. Um, and I know you're, you know you're turning 70 when you and your teeth have decided that a separation is best for your relationship and getting high means taking your blood pressure medication. These are so stupid, but, but I love bad dad jokes, and now I've got this excuse to say them all the time. I'm turning 50, kids. I'm losing it. There is a very important event coming up next weekend on Saturday, the 17th, and it's an event called Non-Essential. Uh, as you know, uh, the governor of California has, has deemed gathering inside of a church like we're doing right now to be non-essential, while marijuana uh, shops and uh, abortion clinics and um, liquor stores and other types of things like that uh, are okay and essential. Uh, gathering like we are inside this building is not. And so we have this event coming up, very important, and I have a role that Rob and I are asking for you to play. So please watch this video. The government shut down our church. 15 days to slow the spread is what we were told. But months later, the doors were still closed. We met outside, social distanced, and lifted our hands in praise to God. While singing, those same hands were placed in handcuffs. Churches all across America apparently aren't essential. 
My wife's dreams of owning her own small business was shattered when rioters burned it to the ground. All across the nation, thousands of small business owners just like her lost their livelihoods and ability to support their families and their communities because law and order apparently is non-essential. After being quarantined at home for months, our two little girls were so excited to get back to school, but the local school board decided to keep the doors closed. My daughters were devastated. I never dreamed my kids learning in a classroom would be considered non-essential. They call them peaceful protests, but my good friend was killed in cold blood during one. He was a police officer and he died protecting our community against rioters. Lawlessness has jeopardized the lives of law enforcement all across the nation and has disrupted the peace in our communities. Defunding our police departments makes his life non-essential. His wife and kids would disagree. The news media tells me every day the number of lives that have been lost due to COVID. But what they continually fail to mention are the thousands taken every day by abortion. While our churches were forcibly closed, abortion clinics were open, and the lives of babies in the womb were stolen because they were considered non-essential. Our community, our families, and our Christian way of life are under attack. Slowly and subtly, our rights are being stripped. The government thinks those rights are non-essential. They promised peace and safety in exchange, but is that reality? They came after these families in these small towns. How long do you think it will be before they come to yours? Or are they already there? Charlie Kirk, Kirk Cameron, Dinesh D'Souza, Sissy Graham Lynch, Pastor Jack Hibbs, Pastor Rob McCoy, Frontline Dr. Dan Erickson, and David Harris Jr. want you to join them as they examine the reality of our nation's current circumstances and share the one and only solution that quickly and simply solves the problems facing America. Featuring special music and worship from Danny Gokey, together we will reclaim the essential Christian freedoms our nation was founded on. Don't miss this one-time event airing on October 18th at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Go to nonessential.live and learn more about this free event. This is... This is a really important event that we have been putting together, producing now for uh, a couple of months. And we have a role that Rob and I would like for Godspeak to play. This is an event that's going to go out over Facebook and other social media platforms to, we hope, uh, over 10 to 15 million people. We're going to be talking with them about the things that are being talked about here at Godspeak. With the speakers we talked about, Danny Goki is going to be leading us in worship. It's going to be an incredible event. And here's the thing. We're hosting it at Jack Hibbs Church in Chino Hills. There's 2,500 seats. We need to fill those seats up on a Saturday morning. That's not normally the time that we fill the sanctuary. And so... Jack Hibbs, uh, I know you remember how he sent a whole contingency of uh, several hundred people here at Godspeak when Rob was under fire. He's now asking us to send a contingency from Godspeak to make a statement and help them to fill up that church so that it's full to the point of people hanging out the windows so that when we go live, all of us will be on camera showing that we assemble in churches and this is essential. And I'll tell you more about this in just a little bit. 
So I'm hoping you'll clear Saturday morning, this coming Saturday morning at 10 o'clock to meet us at Chino Hills Church. And I'll tell you more about that in just a little while. Well, I've got a message this morning that uh, I've titled, Find Your Song and Sing It. Find Your Song and Sing It. I love music. I don't sing very well, but, uh, but I love music because music takes me back to my childhood. Music makes me remember key events in my life, uh, key relationships, people. And I thought we could start by playing a little game of Name That Tune. Remember that, remember that show, Name That Tune? I can name that tune in three notes. Okay, I'm going to play a few songs, and I want you to tell me the name of the song, and, and here's a clue. They're all movie theme songs, okay? Here's the first one. <laughs> what is it? Superman! All right, here's the next one. Want another one? Jurassic Park. Very good. Okay, and here's the last one. Of course. Songs are so powerful, aren't they? They, they? they transport you through time. Songs inspire us. Songs unite us. And I think the most powerful songs are the ones about hope. Hope inspires us. Hope unites us. Hope gets us dreaming about a better tomorrow. I saw a video about a song that inspired an entire nation after World War I. And it made me think about my grandfather, Frank Bowsmith. We called him Pop-Pop. Made me think about him because he was a World War II hero. In fact, he was a Navy corpsman fighting with the Marines on the island of Iwo Jima. And we used to look at his purple heart and he used to tell us stories, stories that I always loved when he would repeat. And and he was a real hero. He never thought he was, but that's a, a good defining characteristic of living heroes. They never think they deserve to be called one. Well, here's the clip that made me think of my grandpa. Exactly 101 years ago this month, in September 1918, a crowd sat silently for the first six innings of the opening World Series ball game between the Chicago Cubs and the Boston Red Sox. World War I had sapped Americans' enthusiasm for sports and set them on edge against each other. Illinois had seen a rash of hatred and violence, particularly against German immigrants. Chicago's streets with names like Frankfurt and Hamburg were renamed. A German-born orchestra conductor was forced to resign. And in Collinsville, Illinois, a mob dragged a German-American laborer into the streets and lynched him. But then something historic happened at that World Series game. At the seventh inning, the band struck up the Star-Spangled Banner. Red Sox player Fred Thomas, a Navy man on furlough, immediately stood at attention and saluted the flag. Other players removed their ball caps and stood hands over hearts. One by one, they began singing along. 
The crowd stood as well and joined in singing too. As the New York Times reported, a great volume of melody rolled across the field. At the very end, the onlookers exploded into thunderous applause that marked the highest point of the day's enthusiasm. The Red Sox were so moved that they began playing the Star-Spangled Banner at their home games. Over the years, it also became a fixture in other major sports, and in 1931, it was officially made the American National Anthem. By the end of World War II, the commissioner of the National Football League would insist the National Anthem should be as much a part of every game as the kickoff. We should never forget what it stands for. And what does it stand for? In recent years, some have argued that the anthem and flag are divisive, or even that national pride itself is hurtful. But on that September day 101 years ago, the Star-Spangled Banner united Americans during a time marked by division and nativism. Even today, despite the protests of a small minority, the flag and anthem still represent all Americans from diverse backgrounds, united in a national creed of one nation, under God, under one American flag. And while Americans may root for different teams, we all root for our homeland. As I said, the, the greatest songs are the songs of hope. Whoever gives the greatest hope will have the greatest influence. Who, who will win the day? Who will win the election? I know who's going to win the election. I know who's going to win the election. The one who gives the greatest hope. Hope wins. Hope wins. Hope wins. We need hope like we need air. And America needs a song of hope. I think we've lost our song. We're a shining city on a hill. But our light is not shining quite as brightly right now. And there are those who want to snuff it out completely and question our role in the world as the torchbearer of liberty. Imagine an America that was on fire with revival, alive with the Spirit of God, a band full of hope-filled Christians infecting others, not with the coronavirus, but the hope virus. Everywhere, infecting others with the hope virus. Then we could all take off our masks of fear and shame and speak to each other in hymns and psalms and spiritual songs, singing, making music in our hearts to the Lord. See, that's what we're not doing. We're not speaking to each other. We're masking ourselves and distancing from one another. We're not singing our songs together. If, if I had the ability to just hang a giant banner over the top of this sanctuary to provide context for this message this morning. It would be a verse in scripture that I've gone to in times where I'm discouraged, when I'm doubting, and it brings me great comfort. And it's found in 1 Timothy 6.15, where it says, God, the blessed controller of all things. He is the sovereign controller of all things. He is the king of every king. He's the ruler of every ruler. He is master over death and disease, over the wind and the waves, and he can turn the heart of the king just as he turns the streams to the sea. 
And our text this morning is going to be found in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. So if you have your Bibles, why don't you uh, get those out? We'll stand in just a moment, but I want to provide a little context for this. Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And the context is... Habakkuk is, is uh, seeing violence and destruction in his streets, and he has a complaint that he levels toward God. And he says, God, they're destroying your people. They're wicked. The righteous are being just swept away. How long are you going to sit and let this happen? After he asks that question, the Lord answers him. And he says, Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you wouldn't believe if you were told. And he says, behold, I am raising up these people. Imagine that. That bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings that are not their own. They're dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. They are their own standard of what's right. Their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar and they fly in like an eagle, swift to devour. They all come for violence and their faces forward. They gather captives like sand. At kings, they scoff. At rulers, they laugh. They laugh at every fortress for they pile up the earth and they take it. Then they sweep by like the wind and they go on. Guilty men whose own might is their God. And Habakkuk is just like, but Lord, you are holy. How can you even look on these things? And God tells Habakkuk, all of their wickedness is going to fall on their own head in my time. They will fall into their own, the pits that they've dug. They'll be caught by the nets that they've set And all of this is ultimately judgment and discipline for my people. And my purposes will be accomplished. And then Habakkuk says, oh, Lord, I know who you are. I've heard of your deeds. I know how you work. Oh, God. Oh, God. And then we come to verse 17. Would you please stand for the reading of God's word? You can follow along silently as I read. Habakkuk says, Though the fig tree does not bud and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength He makes my feet like those of a deer and enables me to walk on mountain heights. Please be seated. Another translation renders that verse, the Lord God is my strength and he will make my feet like hind's feet on high places. Remember the book, hind's feet on high places? Let me give you a more modern reading of this passage. Uh, This is my own paraphrase. This isn't scripture, but I imagine if Habakkuk were here today and he were talking in our terms, our cultural context, this passage might sound something like this. Though I lose my job and I can't feed my family, though there's no food in the cabinet, no milk in the refrigerator, 
Though I lose my home through foreclosure or fire, even if my animals all die of starvation, if the schools are all closed and the churches are barred, though there's violence and rioting in the streets, though our cities burn, though there are no police to serve and to protect, though the other guy is elected president and the other lady runs Congress, Though socialism replaces capitalism, though abortion and infanticide continues unabated and family values are mocked by our government, even if entitlement rules over personal responsibility, yet I will, I will what? I will sing my song of hope. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. And why would he do that? How could he do that? It's because in the midst of the deep, dark struggles of his life, Habakkuk knew that God makes our feet like deer feet, hinds feet. Now, I'll be honest with you, I struggled a little bit at this, at, at this point in the verse because I'm wondering why, 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 would, why would he be excited about God giving him feet like deer feet? I mean, uh, I don't have particularly attractive feet, uh, but I don't think I've ever really prayed for deer feet. Never really thought much about deer feet. So I did a little research and I, and I, and I found out that, you know, a deer is an amazing animal. It can jump an eight-foot fence like it's nothing. It can run at 35 miles an hour. It seldom slips. It seldom falls, even though it can't even see the terrain that it's running through. And when I'm in a deer stand, my eyes are usually concentrating on that big rack that I see in the bushes or the white flag of the deer's tail or the spots. But it's their little obscure feet that deserve all the credit for these amazing animals. Their hooves are anatomical wonders. I mean, whether they're, whether they're running, whether they're chasing another deer, whether they're evading danger, their muscular hind legs are propelling them forward. Their front legs serve as pivot points so that they can turn sharply, but it's their hooves that make all of it possible. And a deer foot consists of, uh, of two uh, elongated toes that are Uh, capped by a hard toenail that we call the hoof, and it's made out of keratin. It's the same material that our fingernails and toenails are made out of. And that black outer nail is very hard. It's very strong. And, And it's designed to provide excellent traction on soft and wet surfaces. It digs in. But then the inner portion of that hoof is softer, and it provides cushion and traction on hard, slippery surfaces. And that hoof actually serves as a formidable weapon with which they can defend themselves. Habakkuk is saying, the Lord puts a spring in my step and keeps my feet on the path even in dangerous, slippery places. I can run and not grow weary. I can walk and not grow faint. Like Isaiah says, And he makes me walk in victory, even on the highest mountain places. Not only does God help us walk and run, he makes us soar. He makes us mount up with wings as eagles. And he enables us to go 
to places that we could not otherwise go. We can go to where, to where God is and get God's perspective on our circumstances above the dangers and the attacks with no fear of falling because he is able to hold us up. About a year and a half ago, I had a chance to go drive my daughter to Colorado Springs, and along the way, we stopped at the Grand Canyon, and we drove down there through the bottom of the canyon, and that's beautiful, but we had a chance to take a helicopter ride above the Grand Canyon, and that's a totally different perspective. I mean, from up there, you see things from heaven's balcony, and when you're standing on the top of those mountain places, it is just the most beautiful perspective. And in the midst of his greatest struggle, of his most dangerous circumstances, Habakkuk found his greatest song. And it was a song of hope. Against against the backdrop of injustice, of violence, of lawlessness, running rampant in the streets of the nation, Habakkuk found his quiet place on the tower and he heard the still, small voice of God and he found his song. Right in the center of the noisy confusion and the anxiety and the distress, he found the lyrics of his life and discovered that he was made for music. I love that scene in the movie Walk the Line with Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash. And there's this great scene where where Johnny and his two friends are auditioning for a Memphis record studio, a record label, and uh, Sam Phillips is the executive's name of Sun Records. And they're auditioning for him, and at that point, Johnny Cash was an unknown. He was uh, singing door-to-door by day. He was uh, singing gospel songs at night with two of his friends, and he starts out this slow, monotonous gospel song, and Phillips restrains himself for all of about 30 seconds, and then he finally just butts in and he says, uh, you got anything else? And Johnny Cash is taken aback, and he says, uh, look, Mr. Cash, I'm in the business of selling records. I only record music that sells, and that kind of gospel music doesn't sell. And Johnny says, well, well what's wrong with it? He said, uh, is it the gospel song, or is it the way I sing it? Philip says, both. He says, what's wrong with the way I sing it? He said, I don't believe you. He says, you saying I don't believe in God? He says, you know exactly what I mean. We've heard that same gospel song over and over and over, sung by everybody just the way you sang it. Johnny says, well, you didn't let us bring it home. And he said, okay, let's bring it home. Let's bring it home. He said, if you was hit by a truck and you were lying in the gutter dying and you had time to sing one song, one song that people would remember you by before your dirt, one song that would let God know how how you felt about your time on earth, one song that would sum you up. Are you telling me that that's the song that you would sing or would you sing a different song? Would you sing a song about something that you really felt? Because that's the kind of song people want to hear. That's the kind of song that saves people. Johnny grabbed his guitar and he said, well, 
I wrote a couple songs when I was in the Air Force. You don't have anything against the military, do you? And then he started strumming. I hear that train a-coming Rolling around the bend And I ain't seen the sunshine since I don't know when I'm stuck in Folsom prison And time keeps dragging on And that train keeps rolling on down to San Antonio. And it was a hit. That song put him on the map because it was a song that he was made to sing. I think we could learn a little lesson from the man in black this morning. Sing the song you were born to sing. Sing the song you were born again to sing. Don't lip sync someone else's song. In Christ, you and I were made for music and shaped for a song. The famous poet Oliver Wendell Holmes once said, many people die with their music still in them because they're always getting ready to live. Before they know it, time runs out. Don't do that. Find your song of hope and sing it. Hope gives staying power. A couple weeks ago, I was at uh, at my gym. We're uh, exercising outside. We still can't go inside the gym. So we're outside, and uh, about 6 o'clock in the morning, it's it's, kind of cold, but it's refreshing, and, and I was exercising and we got to the near the end of this workout and I was so spent and exhausted I had nothing left I could barely breathe and we had another round of uh, whatever we were doing to go and I just I can't do it anymore and the coach said that the point of that exercise was to show you that when you thought you had nothing left you still keep working you still keep pressing on And it reminded me of an article that I had recently read from a scientist. It was a Harvard Law School scientist who was talking about the truth about the the COVID virus. And he wrote some additional articles. His name was Dr. Paul Richter, a Harvard graduate, John Hopkins scientist. He did a series of experiments that tested how long rats could swim in a high-sided bucket of circulating water before drowning. Dr. Richter found that under normal conditions, a rat could swim for an average of 15 minutes before giving up and sinking. However, if he rescued the rats just before drowning and dried them off, let them rest briefly, and then put them back into the same buckets of circulating water, the rats could swim an average of 60 hours before drowning. If a rat was temporarily saved it would survive 240 times longer. Now, this makes no sense. How could these rats swim so much longer the second time, especially just after swimming as long as possible to stay alive? Dr. Richter concluded that the rats were able to swim longer because they were given hope. They held on to hope 
of being saved again. Hope gives energy, stamina, determination. How can I sing this song of hope when all around me looks hopeless? We look outnumbered, outgunned, outsmarted, outfunded. Habakkuk gives us the master key. Paul took that key and he sang it at the top of his voice in a damp, dark jail cell in Philippi. Remember? It's one of the most moving scenes in the entire New Testament. Beaten, bloodied back, thrown into a jail cell, and before long, he bursts out into midnight singing. Why? Because he had a song in him. Just like Habakkuk. Job took this key, and he sang to his wife, Though he slay me, yet still will I trust him. The key is in Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. The just... The righteous, the Christian, shall live by faith. The follower of Christ shall be fully alive when he lives by faith. Faith is the foundation of hope. Faith is the foundation upon which hope is built. Hope flows from faith. This is the case when when I first came to know the Lord. I had no faith. I had no hope of going to heaven when I died. I just thought, you know, I turned back to dirt, that's it. And I went to church, I heard the gospel, someone preached the law, I came under conviction of my sin, I knew that if there was a holy God in heaven who had been watching me, I was in trouble. I heard the gospel that God had sent a savior who bled and died to pay the price to reconcile me to to a perfect and holy God. He took my punishment for me. And that if I would turn away from my sin and turn to him and trust and obey him as the Lord of my life, that I, I would be changed, I would be forgiven, made new and granted eternal life. And at 17 years old, I said, I, 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 want, I want that. I want to know God. I want to be forgiven of my sin and I want to go to heaven when I die. And I want to be who God wants me to be. I didn't have my theology straight. I couldn't quote any scripture. I didn't know which Bible version to read. But I had something that I never had before. I was given a new hope that flowed from the faith that God gave me. This hope was a fruit of faith. And from that point forward, everything now had to be defined and determined by this new hope that God had placed in my heart. Romans 5 tells us the same thing. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Faith first, then hope. And not only so, we don't just have a hope that I'm going to go to heaven when I die, but we also glory in sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character produces that full-blown hope. The Greek word there is elpis. It means overwhelming confidence. And that hope doesn't put us to shame. It doesn't disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our heart through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Faith leads to hope, leads to love. Faith, hope, and love. My grandpa used to tell 
us grandkids stories of when he was in the war. He was only 17 years old when he got his dad to sign for him to join the Navy. And he went over and he would patch up all of the medics on the, uh, the soldiers on the front lines as a medic. One of the stories I remember so well is how he, he said that he was walking along and he saw a pile of bodies in a, in a pit and he just scanned to see if he saw any signs of life and he noticed a pair of little eyes looking up at him filled with fear and he discovered that this was a little Japanese girl who had been left in this pit and he went down and picked her up cleaned her off, he treated her wounds, and he took her to safety. And I can just imagine those eyes filled with fear, how, they, how that fear must have just changed to hope when she saw someone come and tenderly take care of her and bandage her wounds and take her back to the hospital at the base. He also told us about times that he would, he would have to run out to where soldiers had been shot and they were laying in the dirt, and he would drag them back to a safer place where he could bandage up their wounds. And he said, one guy, he drug him up, and they both hid behind the trunk of a coconut tree and used it as, as a shield while he held the soldier in his, in his arms in his lap. And he told us that a sniper bullet had gone through the coconut tree, and that trunk had slowed it down just enough so that when it came to the other side, it just lodged in my grandpa's elbow and uh, he would show us the wound there and his shrapnel wounds that he had in his, his belly when he'd jump into foxholes. And there would be explosives at the bottom. And I can just imagine that soldier's eyes, who must have been just so filled with terror, melt away and be replaced with hope at the sight of my grandpa. Desmond Doss found his song and sang it bravely during the bloodiest battle of World War II, the Battle of Okinawa on Hacksaw Ridge. Doss was the first conscientious objector to receive the Medal of Honor, our nation's highest award for courage under fire. He believed in the cause of freedom. He believed that it was a just war, and so he enlisted in the army. And without ever touching a gun, without ever firing a bullet, he saved 75 wounded infantrymen on the top of Hacksaw Ridge. He was wounded four times. He suffered a left arm fracture from a sniper's bullet and had 17 pieces of shrapnel embedded in his body. And his prayer and his song of hope was, please, Lord, help me get one more. Please, Lord, help me get one more. As one by one through that long night, he carried 75 wounded men and lowered them down from Hacksaw Ridge with a rope to safety. How did Desmond Doss do that? How did he find courage in such terrifying circumstances? How did my grandfather, Frank Bowsmith, do what he did on Iwo Jima? Faith. Habakkuk says it, the sovereign Lord is my strength. That word sovereign is an important word. Sovereign means he is the blessed controller of all things. There's nothing outside of a sovereign's control. If he's sovereign, everything is under his control. 
He is the Lord who is sovereign, and he is my strength. Question, do you believe that? Do you believe God is sovereign over all circumstances? Is he your strength? If you do, then you have everything you need. You have nothing to fear. And he makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He has equipped you so that you won't slip or fall. He will hold you up. And he makes me walk on high places. Jesus said, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. God has victory over the world, and you and I are with him. According to Ephesians chapter 2, he has raised us up to sit with him in the heavenly places. Right now, I'm standing here on planet earth, but covenantally, spiritually, Ephesians 2 tells me that I am also seated with Christ in the heavenly places. And he's ruling and reigning in victory over all. I've heard it said here several times by Pastor Rob, we're not fighting for victory. We're fighting from victory. That's an important distinction. He reminds us that he is the blessed controller of all things. Technically, I don't know a lot about music. Um, But I do know that there's a real big difference between a lot of the classical composers like Tchaikovsky and Bach and Beethoven and Mozart and many of the modern pop music makers. And I think the difference is deeper than just catchy lyrics or or memorable uh, melodies. Even the inspiring music of, of modern symphony composer John Williams who wrote all the songs we heard earlier Superman, Indiana Jones, Harry Potter, E.T., Jurassic Park, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Something about those kinds of songs. Great composers take simple themes and they develop those themes to the very end of the song. These great songs have sustained convictions that are not discarded for a new one, but are so profoundly believed that the music says those themes and convictions again and again and again. Okay, here's the bonus round for Name That Tune. Just when the listener thinks that this theme has been said as beautifully as it can possibly be said, here it comes again, elevated and more glorious beyond our dreams. And just when we think all the possibilities have been exhausted, here it comes again, more glorious and powerful than ever.
guess what? Great living is like that. Find your song and sing it again and again and again. Have convictions of faith and hope so deep, so sustained that they come marching in during every crisis, every challenge, every trial, every election season. And just when you think you've reached the end of yourself, it'll come back again. We can even anticipate and expect that new hope coming back newer, fresher, more powerfully than ever before. Your life should develop to a crescendo of hope with the greatest themes coming back more elevated, more glorious, more triumphant than ever. As Christians, we face the future with an overwhelming confidence, an ever-increasing hope. And we don't stop singing because our song is eternal. And we sing by faith, not by sight. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you are the sovereign Lord. Father, you've given us your Holy Spirit. We want to govern ourselves under your standards of righteousness and truth, of love and compassion. But Lord, we we have to ask your forgiveness because we haven't done that the way that we should in this country. And we're seeing uh, violence and anarchy and immorality and ungodliness. And Lord, we we need deep, heartfelt, soul-stirring repentance. God, would you grant us repentance individually and as the church, as a nation. And Lord, give us a fresh supply of faith in your sovereignty and in your goodness. Lord, fill our sails with hope. Give us strength and stamina to persevere and do what you tell us to do in this hour. We love you, God, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.